Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Alex. And this is Connor. Welcome to the Sales Engineering Podcast. We are really excited to bring on Jay Parisi and Mark Shavers, Senior Sales Engineers and Solution Architects at Twilio. These two SEs have a combined 30 plus years of experience, and we are going to have a conversation around a foundational topic, partnering with your account executives. After listening to this episode, you'll be able to identify the most common challenges that exist in this AESE partnership, and more importantly, feel equipped and empowered in resolving these universal tensions. Get ready to learn from two incredible SEs at Twilio. You might want a pen and paper out for this one. Welcome to the Edge of Sales Engineering. Hey, Jay and Mark. Alex and I are super excited to have you both on the podcast today. Welcome. Yeah, we're super excited to, to speak to you both, Jay and Mark. Yeah, super excited to be here. Really looking forward to this. Yeah, thanks for yeah. having us. Guys, appreciate it. Yeah, of course. So for some context, at sales kickoff this year at Twilio, Jay and Mark led a killer presentation that was actually one of the top rated sessions out of all of the SE talks. And Alex and I were talking and thought this would actually be a perfect foundational conversation and topic for the sales engineering podcast. So today we'll get to learn from these two extremely experienced and seasoned SEs and to talk more specifically about partnering with your account executive, which absolutely every SE needs to know in order for our, us to do our job successfully. And so collectively, you all have an insane amount of great experience and work at one of the best companies in the world. I'm not biased at all. I also work at Twilio. Um, and so we're excited to learn from both of y'all. With that being said, Jay, how about you start us off with some introductions? Tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you're about, as well as your path to the SE role. Sure. Yeah. So Jay Parisi, uh, Solutions Architect, as you mentioned, I'm at Twilio as well. And uh, I've been, uh, I'm a CS major, so I've been an SE for about a decade. And it was quite uh, inevitable that I would become an SE. You know, I'm a terrible developer, highly competitive, and I love to talk. So you know, a little bit of uh, both sides, the capital S and the capital E of sales engineering. So uh, a little bit about my path and sort of how I got here, you know, after I graduated CS, um, I was doing Unix, just admin stuff for a year, hated it, was sort of locked in a room and just working on like Unix and, and networking stuff. Um, fast forward a year, I, I jumped over to a small development shop and this was kind of pre-cloud and we were doing, um, web development, sort of uh, agency, create, creative agency uh, website development. And I was kind of doing the whole gamut of project management. And so, you know, infrastructure, UI, UX, uh, design, and managing an offshore development team. And that's really where I fell in love with sort of delivering software. Um, a little bit after that, about two years, I jumped over to a mobile company. And, you know, I kept helping the uh, sales guys because they kept bringing me over to, on the pre-sale side. And this is kind of 2008 time before I think SE was a big thing. So the more and more I crossed over to that side and saw how much you know revenue was coming in, and the more I wanted to be there. And about 2009, the rest is history. I never looked back. So um, you know, been at a few other companies specializing mainly in middleware, mobile and middleware, and here I am at Twilio in, in the communication space and just just loving the industry. That's awesome. Thanks, Jay. How about you, Mark? Yeah, well, <clears throat> I've been in uh, sales or sales engineering for over 20 years. Um, I, like Jay, I studied computer science in college, got out, had a roommate who actually got me a job doing inside sales for a computer hardware OEM company and uh, did sales for telecommunications and then became an SE at Akamai, at SunGuard, was a VP of sales for a, a big data company before big data was a thing. We were mining everything that was being said out there in blogs and on Facebook and we give those analytics out to marketing departments. Um, and I was a VP of sales there and then was also a sales engineering manager for the Pacific Northwest at CenturyLink. Uh, and really saw the future being what Twilio was doing, building APIs, um, being the conduit between communications uh, and software development. And, and that old saying, software is eating the world. I absolutely saw that throughout my entire career. Um, so I've always, I always tell people I'm a big ass little E. I've got a lot of sales experience, but I 
I started out technical. I love playing with the toys. Uh, and that's what made me successful as a salesperson. So talking about the AESE partnership, I have a unique perspective of that. I've been that sales rep and I've also been a VP of sales, running sales organizations, a sales manager, an SE manager, and now a solution architect here at Twilio. So I totally understand what's going on with the other side. Uh, and, and that's why I think this, uh, Jay and I, when we talked about this, it was, it, it was great um, conversation that we had because my experience with sales, his experience with sales engineering, we could really understand like where that tension happens and really how to have that strong partnership. Yeah, no, that's, that's incredible. You two really bring such a breadth of experience and, and unique experiences to, to chat about this topic. So whether you're an SE today or you want to be an SE in the future, it, it really, this is a foundational topic because working with AEs is fundamental and critical to your success as a sales engineer. It's critical to your team success and critical to your company's success. Today, we're going to be uh, jumping into partnering with your AEs, uh, and we're really excited to be talking about what this looks like uh, at a world-class organization and talking through some of these situations that can cause tension, like you talked about, with a sales team, and then reviewing some of these strategies to remove the tensions. So jumping into the topic, partnering with your AEs, how do AEs and SEs work well together and what does a world-class sales experience look like? So how much time do we have for that question? So yeah, let me, <laughs> let me kick it off by saying, um, yeah. So I think it, it comes down to sort of, you know, that, that, that key operative word partnership. So, right, it, you, you have to establish a partnership with your AE and sort of that's what I've learned over the last decade. And, you know, it's funny because over the last decade, I've heard from many sales managers and different people that, you know, the AE is the quarterback of the opportunity. Um, and, you know, in today's day and age, that necessarily doesn't resonate well with me because I think if you, if you have a real partnership, a better anal analogy to look at is, you know, the AE, and here's a sport, my first sports analogy, the AE is the offensive coordinator maybe, and the SE is the defensive coordinator. Right, because both are responsible for for winning the game. And for me, as an SE, winning the game means uh, getting the technical win, right? And have you know, and that means I have to have a technical strategy to execute on. I have to come to the field prepared. I have to be able to run plays, whether that might be bringing in a PM, or you know, doing some burning the midnight oil and learning a, a, a new product, or you know, uh, building a demo, or you know, mitigating some risk on on our platform. So. Uh, and then also bringing in maybe some experts, professional services, et cetera, et cetera. And the same for the AE. The AE is responsible for that business win, the close plan, right? Qualifying, you know, uh, in and out. And they also are running a, uh, a team, which might be legal, CSMs, you know, specialists on their side in order to get that business win. And, you know, cohesively or jointly, you know, if we don't, if we're not on the same page, if we don't know our same mission, right, then we're not going to win the game as a team. So I think that's a good sort of foundational analogy, you know, for, for partnering with each other. Like I'm responsible for my plays and, and, and getting the technical win strategy and the AE is responsible for the business win. And we have to be sort of in line and lockstep with, you know, out, you know how we're going to coordinate and, and execute on that. So Mark, I'll let you uh, transition. Yeah, in. I, I, I agree with everything that Jay said, you know, and Jay touched upon it really the best sales teams are ones that, that complement each other. You know, like uh, my wife, she knows what I like. She, she knows what I like to do. And sometimes she'll make plans without even consulting me. She knows what my schedule is like. And I end up going and even sometimes I'm like, oh, I don't feel like going out. And then we go out and we have drinks with our friends. And then afterwards I'm like, man, that was a great time because we are a great team and we work together. And AEs and SEs are no different. There's there's AEs out there who are really good at scheduling. They're really good at building the relationship with the customer. Some of them are really good at negotiating pricing. Everybody has strengths and weaknesses. In my career, what I've seen is that the most successful AEs and SEs are ones that complement each other. They understand what is the strength of their partner and what, they, what can they do to complement that strength. 
And they understand that as a team, we're stronger and we're better together. And that's what creates a world-class sales organization and customers appreciate that. Customers understand, oh, this is my AE that's gonna help me negotiate this contract. But when my technical people have a deep dive technical question, they talk to Mark, right? And they understand that those are the two resources and they appreciate that, but they also know that we work really well together. Uh, and that's what makes such a strong team. And, and it sounds like your wife knows you better than you do. And, and you know, I, I love when, you know, we, when I have that working relationship with my AE where, you know, I'll jump on a call and a buyer might be like, Hey, let's see a demo. Let's, let's, you know, give, give me, give me, give me. And my AE is like, wait, before we do a demo, I need X, Y, and Z. Right. Yeah. He, he or she's looking out for my best interests. Also, uh, he or she knows that I'm not going to be successful if I really don't know the parameters of what I have to show. Um, so, and to, to Mark's point, you know, the best thing in the world is when you join, um, you know, when um, I don't join a call and the, and the AE tells me, oh, the customer is asking about you. Or, you know, if, if I'm not on a, on a call and, and the customer is like, hey, where's Jay? Right. And, uh, even if it's a legal call or a business call. Right. And, and vice versa. Right. The AE should be doing a good enough job. If, if I'm having a geek out session with a developer on, you know, on our platform, when that, when that developer or technical person says, Hey, where's your, where's your AE? That's a really good sign of us, you know, sort of becoming one. And you know, as Mark said, we've delivered on that world-class service. Yeah. I love that, that idea and thought of becoming one and, and really delivering on what that world-class experience um, you just defined. Um, it sounds great, but it's clearly not something that's built overnight. And these relationships aren't perfect in the beginning and of course develop over time. And so obviously there's tensions between both account executives and sales engineers. And it's something that that's very normal and common as with any working or per personal relationship. So uh, I'd like to dive into calling out some of those specific tensions now, as well as strategies on how we can best handle them. So. Jay, yeah. I guess, what, what are some of those general tensions that you've noticed at a high level? Yeah, that's a good question because um, I think when the, those tensions are at their highest, at their peak, when you have an SE organization that's sort of like a SWAT, a SWAT team, right? It's, you know, dispatch a resource, get on a call, you know, answer, answer a question. And usually those calls are ad hoc and they're urgent and they're out of nowhere. And, you know, you, you, know, you might not have that much context, right? Or you might not have that much planning. So... I think you can sort of boil tension down into two categories, right? One is general tension and one is, is opportunity tension, right? Because general meaning just sort of the, uh, the, the working relationship you have as a team, as a, as a partnership, and then tension within the opportunity, which is, you know, just sort of the ins and outs of what happens as you move through the deal. So on the general side, I, you know, I, I look at, you know, some of the things that sort of, uh, let's say, grind my gears a little bit is, is, is the double booking, right? It's, right, I see you have an internal calendar, uh, meaning, uh, you know, that's an internal to, you know, your teammates, but yep. that's not that important. Let me, let me, let me just book up. This is a customer-facing meeting or, you know, unnecessary travel, right? Let's just get in there, throw spaghetti on the wall and see what sticks. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, I agree. People buy from people and face-to-face is outstanding but like think about travel expenses, cost of the sale, right? Let's, let's really tee this up nicely because when I, when I go on site, I want to, I want to deliver and, and celebrate with the buyer. I we want to dinners and we want to build relationships. We don't want to go there and, and, and diminish our relationship because we didn't, you know, execute on what their expectations are. Um, and back to that support type of model, right? So, you know, when we have a support team, right? If you're selling enterprise software, you're an SE of a, of a software company, right? There's a support process. It's very easy to say, oh, let me have the SE do that. But I don't work on SLAs. I also can't troubleshoot production code or debug production issues. Yes, there are things that could probably assess like a first pass, but we're missing the point of getting it to our support team and responding to that SLA, right? And, and I think the best thing to happen is when, when we have support issues and it goes to our support team and they nail it, right? That's a great look for us and the customer will appreciate versus having an SE, you know, take that first pass and sort of dive into a problem and then pass it over, right? This is distracting. It, I'm not focusing on my core responsibilities. There's a lot of things that, that come out of that. 
Um, you know, and then just to, to nitpick a little bit on the, the, the general tension side, um, just sort of no prep time and, and agendalist meetings, right? If you're familiar with like Sandler or upfront contracts, I, I think it's amazing when you just call out um, the items for, for a meeting and, you know, when the buyer, when the customer comes back and says, I don't agree with this, or I also want to add that. I think you learn as an SC, if they were expecting more, I see that there, right? If they wanted to talk about new items, now I can prep better. So these things, like when my AE looks out for me and does that type of stuff, right? It just makes me do my job much better. I'm not getting on a call, being blindsided and, and, and playing stump the chomp. Yeah. And as you were talking through, I think those four or five kind of high level general tensions, you, you were like talking about them and, and you're exactly right. These are things that really grind gears if they're not done well. And of course, if you're in a good working relationship and you've, you've actually talked about and have a good strategy to handle these general tensions, it could actually be a non-issue for many of these things. So um, it, it might make sense just to double click into those, those four or five high level categories and just kind of riff on that a little bit more, just starting with double booking. Uh, Jay and Mark, how, how do you go about handling that tension with your AE? Yeah, well, double booking comes up a lot, especially if you're supporting multiple reps. Uh, and, and it kind of goes back to what makes a strong account team is communication and double booking happens because of a lack of communication. And how you handle that, again, is completely up to what's your style? What kind of SE do you want to be? You know, I've worked with SEs who were like, if I already have something booked and someone tries to book over it, I just decline it. That's it. But what my approach has always been is I like to use the phrase of highly paid professionals, right? I work with highly paid professionals and I treat them as such. So if I have a meeting booked and someone wants to book over it, I don't decline it, but I reach out to them and be like, hey, I'm booked at that time. I've got it booked with this other person. And a lot of times they'll be like, oh, sorry, I didn't see it. Let, let me find a different time. But they're, if they're like, this is a super critical meeting. You've got to be there. Awesome. Go talk to that other rep. You two work it out. You tell me where it's most important for me to be. And sometimes it doesn't always work. Sometimes salespeople, you know, they're, they're really selfish and, they, and they're only concerned about their deal. Uh, and then that's when I was like, hey, if you two can't work it out, you have a manager. That's, that's their job, right? They're the ones who are going to play referee. I'm not going to get in the middle because I don't want to destroy my relationship with either one of them. And especially over something of like two people need me to be at the same place at the same time. That's something that should easily be worked out. So uh, that, that's how I, I kind of deal with that. And I want to touch on another one that Jay talked about, um, agendaless meetings. I get that a lot, where it's just, I have a meeting, but I don't have an agenda. And I actually had a rep who told me on our first meeting, he's like, oh, my plan is the no plan plan. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, man, that, that just- my gears. Yeah, <laughs> that really scares me. That is not what you want to hear. Yeah. Well, and it's funny too, because if you're trying to build a world-class sales organization, it grinds the customer's gears too. They, they don't know what you're there to talk about. They don't yes. know what they should bring to prepare, right? Mm -hmm. So what I did with this rep is I was like, I called him before we were having the meeting and I go, okay, who are we meeting with? Oh, we're meeting with this customer. What are we talking about? Oh, we're talking about this. Okay, well, what part of that are you going to talk about? Well, I'm going to talk about this part. Well, what do you want me to do? Well, I want you to talk about this. Well, there's a PM there too. What do you want them there for? Well, they're there in case it goes in depth beyond what you know. Awesome. You just created an agenda. Like, even though you got the no plan plan, you have a plan. You just don't want to write it down. Um, and that's where it goes again to complimenting your AE, right? I want to be the best that I can be. I want to be the best team that we can be. That's not his strength. I can spend 10 minutes creating an agenda. I, I, and that's just my personal style, right? Is that I want to do, I want to pick up the slack for my other team members if I can. So for this particular rep, we would have prep calls. We'd go through it. I would document it. I would email it to him and send it to the customer. And he was fine with it. Yeah, it really sounds like you, you knew what each other was bringing to the table, not only for the meeting, but also in the relationship as well. Yeah. And I know like unnecessary travel, uh, I've run into that some, but Jay, I know you, you actually end up having to travel a lot more than I do. 
So like, what are some of your, what, what have you done to kind of deal with, with unnecessary travel? Yeah, I, th I think the first thing I try to do is try to, when someone wants to go on site, right, I try to have two meetings before that. So I, I, it's all, I think it's all about teeing up that on the field, you know, uh, execution. So being in the spotlight, you know, and, you know, I think the question we have to ask our AEs and, uh, and ourselves is, you know, we're currently at this stage in the opportunity where we got to move down the field. We got to go from A to B, B to C, all the way to close. So what are we doing on site, right, for this travel to move it from A to B? Um, and if we don't know, if we don't have that definitive answer, I think a, a good thing to ask ourselves is, you know, we need to, 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 you know, build a plan and we need to, you know, to get on calls with our champion, to find out who our champion, who our decision makers are, uh, or just understand scope and requirements more before we do this. Um, and because when I go there, I want the right people to be in the room. If we haven't identified them, if we don't know um, the certain criteria of the stage we're at, and, and you know, then there's no point of going on site because I don't think we're gonna move the needle from, from stage one to two, or two to three, three or four. So, um, Secondarily, I think asking our AEs, you know, you know, does this make sense to the deal size, to the opportunity, right, uh, of being on site? Can this be done remotely? Those I think are good, like you know, um, owner, like owner values, as as, as a, an accounting that we should be doing. So we're not just you know spending money frivolously just to be on site because as an SC and 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 you know, if you have a family or if you have a platform that requires a lot of uh, level of effort to to prove out and demonstrate. Um, you know, we want to give ourselves that prep time, and and so just dialing back to the agendaless meetings. So I think it's like agenda agenda 2.0, right? So we really need to define what our agenda is, what our game plan is, and if we don't feel like we can move the deal, right? Then maybe we should have a few more calls before setting up on setting up an onsite and building relationship with our buyer uh, before we do that. Now there might be scenarios where the customer asks you to go on site. Um, and, and, and that's okay. You know, we, we, we might, but that, sorry, that doesn't mean it's okay. We, we still might want to, you know, understand what we're going there for and setting ourselves up for success. So I think I would boil it down to just mitigating risk, understanding what our win plan is, our strategy, um, and then just making sure we can perform on the field as, as good as we can. Yeah, you know, and unnecessary travel comes up too. And the thing that always grinds my gears about unnecessary travel is that there's it, there's a cost to it, not just a, a tangible cost in terms of uh, me as a resource, but also I'm going to be in the air, which means I'm unreachable. I'm in a uh, uh, in an airport where I can't take calls. I'm in a hotel where I'm not in my office. So I'm out of reach for my other customers and for my other reps. And so Jay, like you talked about, you know, when there's travel and I always look at myself as an equal partner in the team. So when we as a sales team decide we need to go out on site to a customer, I feel like I have as much right as the AE to look at, is that justified or not? And if we're talking about a deal that is a tiny deal and it can be solved over the phone, you know, I'll push back on the AE and be like, really, we're going to spend $1,000 in travel and we're not going to make $1,000 on this deal. Is that a smart use of, of, of our resources? And, and, and like you were talking about, Jay, you know, it's all about having that conversation with, with your AE and being able to, to, to push back on them and say, we're not there at this deal yet. I think going on site isn't going to move us to where we need to go. And is, does it make sense to spend that money? Does it make sense to spend these resources? Does it make sense to bring 15 people to this on-site meeting? Is the deal large enough to justify that kind of dedication of resources um, and, and to really look at it from a dollar and cents point of view, to push back, to kind of open their eyes to say, okay, yeah, I know I want to win this deal, but they're right. This, this isn't the right time and this isn't the right way to spend money. Yeah, I love that perspective on taking ownership and, and like you mentioned, Mark, treating each other as highly paid professionals and mm -hmm. understanding on, on having a conversation on what's the best thing to do, not only for, for the company and the deal, but also personally, right? Like that, that's time not only taken away from other customers, but also uh, family and friends as well. Yeah, absolutely. And so in, in 
kind of wrapping up some of the general tensions, I think, Jay, you had support issues as the last one. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think, um, you know, I, I kind of touched on that before. I think what happens with these, you know, with these support issues means you're sort of normalizing yourself as the go-to for, for you know, everything, right? Everything under the technical umbrella and, you know, product and now support. So, you know, I think, you know, as I mentioned, you, you're doing, you know, the customer a disservice, right? If you're going to be the first pass when we have, you know, a support team and an SLA in place that they've contract contractually, you know, committed to. So I think, um, you know, um, you know, when you have AEs that want to forward, um, you know, emails, you know, from an irate customer or, uh, you know, from a, from a phone call they got, I think the, uh, the, the only resolution is really to, to push back and say, right, let, you know, we need to coach our customer to file a ticket. One, because we want that SLA, we want the support team working on it. But two, we also want to curate this information so we get, we build a better product and we, we have this, you know, data available to, you know, to look at our support issues and turn those into productized features. Um, and also, um, you know, we want to enable our customers, right, to, to follow this process. Um, so they can can see that, um, and I think it, you know the, there's only one way to handle that, right? Which is to you know ask the ace, ask the, uh, ask the AE um, the next time that happens to ask the customer to file a ticket. What I like to do personally, I think, to go above and beyond for our customers because I tend to you know Twilio tends to be a land and expand product, right? So I will ask the customer if I get looped in to file a ticket. And then what I will do is say, you have me as oversight. I will, you know, you know, if you have any questions around, you know, what's going on, you know, I'm here to help. I will also be back channeling and trying to figure out if we can resolve this faster, if there's any, you know, uh, workarounds and stuff like that. So, you know, I think, you know, for this one, it's, I think it's pretty hard lined where we just, we, we, we set that policy where we have to, you know, uh, push back and say, have the, the, the customer follow a ticket for the right reasons. Yeah, and I have to agree with everything that Jay said, you know, and, and to emphasize kind of the point that he he started out with is when we jump in to support issues, we're doing a disservice to the customer because you're not enabling them to learn the proper support channel. And what I tell my customers is like, hey, I'm willing to help you, but I'm not a 24-7 resource. So if something breaks in the middle of the night, I'm not going to be there to be able to fix it. And if they've gotten used to emailing me and calling Mark and Mark can fix it, but I'm not going to be there. And when they reach out to us as SEs directly sending us emails or making phone calls, there's no tracking mechanism as Jay was talking about logging that ticket. So um, now I've got customers that will email me if a question, but they'll also say, here's the ticket number. You know, and it's kind of like, hey, I've got this ticket open, support's working on it. But if you have time and you know the answer off the top of your head, can you answer this? And to me, that's like a perfect, a perfect way of working it. Because then if I'm busy, if I'm on vacation, if I've got other projects I'm working on and I can't get to that support request, support's working on it. But if I have time and it's like, oh, I know what this is. I just ran into this. Boom, here you go. Put a note in the ticket. And now we've got a record of what was said and what was done. Yeah, thanks for, for running through those issues. I felt like you're preaching to the choir, whether you've been an SE for a couple months, a couple years, or a decade. You <laughs> have absolutely experienced these. I've been on vac vacation before, uh, driving, getting urgent issues from customers <laughs> because this, this has been uh, established as you, you being this technical resource to solve their issues. Uh, so that's a really great summary. So switching gears from these general tensions that occur, uh, Mark, there are a lot of tensions and frustrations specifically around opportunities. What are some of the common tension points there? Yeah, so um, you know where the general tensions are just kind of tensions that come up from just being a part of teams and working with other people. Opportunity tensions are really tensions that come up that are, are deal specific. So one of the big ones I've seen a lot is like boil the ocean approach. It's, it's where the sales rep, it, it, it just gets as many people as they possibly can into a room, show them the market texture and see what sticks. It's throw everything at the wall and, and see what the customer is interested. 
you know, and, and another one that, that comes up when you're engaged in a deal and a specific opportunity is kind of misalignment. And that's when an AE believes that, you know, we're at the technical win stage, but I believe we, we haven't even qualified it. We, we don't know um, if there's budget, what products is actually going to solve the customer's problem, what solution is the right one, but the AE believes we're ready to close this deal. Um, you know, another one is, is demo commitment where you just get a, a email or a meeting request saying, Hey, I want you to show up and, and, and just do a demo. Um, and that one, that one really grinds my gears because a lot of times it's like demo what, you know, and it's, Oh, well just, you know, demo Twilio. What part of it? Like, what are you talking about? Um, you know, and, and what goes along with that is also RFPs, RFIs, they, they're a part of doing business. It's a normal part of a sales cycle, um, but it, it, they're a grind and they're a necessary evil. But sometimes we get RFPs with a turnaround time that is completely unreasonable. Um, and that can create tension inside of a sales team. Um, and then also kind of general ownership commitments. You know, if there's a proof of concept, if there's a pilot, sometimes AEs believe like, oh, the SE is going to do this. Um, it's it just, it, it stems from a disconnect between, um, you know, what we believe we're responsible for and what the AE believes we're responsible for. And, and sometimes the AEs will make commitments of things that we're supposed to be doing without actually talking to me. Yeah. Uh, further preaching to the choir, whether you've been in SE for a couple months or a couple years, all of these things have happened. Let's jump a little deeper in, into each of these, starting with uh, boiling the ocean, uh, you know, where you just throw all of your product at, at a prospect. Talk about why that doesn't work in, in practice and maybe a few of the, the ways that you go about handling when you're put in that situation. Yeah, you know, and I think that goes to kind of the, uh, you know, something else I, I try to keep in my head is like good to great to world class, you know. Uh, a, a good sales rep will know exactly what the customer's problem is and how to solve it. A great AE and SE team will understand, you know, this is a particular solution. This is the problem that we're solving. This is how the customer has to get approval on their side. And a world-class team will know all of those things and how to help the customer get what they want to solve their problem. The throwing everything up on the, on the, on the wall is just bad. Right. It, it's it's bad. The customers don't like it because they feel like you're wasting their time because you're talking about things they're not interested in. Um, and really, the what solves that problem is communication between the AE and the SE. You know, having that prep call ahead of time, being able to talk about, hey, we've got this meeting with this customer today at two o'clock. What are we talking about? Why are we talking about that? What is the problem? What is your understanding of what you think the problem is? And one thing I want to emphasize is that there's a large spectrum of AEs and SEs out there. I've worked with AEs who had all this information. I'd never talked to the customer, but they had it all. They knew the technical requirements. They knew the problem. They knew how to solve it. But still, we had that prep call, and they could walk me through it. And then when I got on the call with the customer, it was a confirmation. And they were right. Like, this was the specific problem. But every time I've worked with a team or a sales rep that just shows up and is like, blah, here's everything that we have to offer. Um, that that's really just goes back to just not being prepared, not communicating uh, with me and, and not properly preparing for, for the meeting with the customer. And I'll just add on to that. I think, you know, the, the invaluable asset of an, an SE is the ability to expand, to validate a customer's pain and in sort of their, their requirements, what they're looking for, and to uh, expand on that, right? So, you know, we know the product, uh, we are the product representative. We, we know how to use our platform to solve, you know, you know, to solution map to a customer's problem, right? So if we come into a meeting where we're just supposed to boil the ocean and throw, you know, spaghetti on the wall and see what sticks, you know, we can't become their trusted advisor. We can't provide the right, prescribe the right solution. And, you know, we, we will miss that opportunity to validate, which is really mitigating risk and then ex expand on the use case. So when, as an SC, I like to, uh, you know, to show how it's done on my product, but then also, you know, vision sell. So I believe we live in a land and expand world 
right? So if I can nail the, the current problem uh, with the, you know, with a solution and map to that solution and then expand on where it will go, maybe not phase one, phase two, phase three, that is a priceless meeting. But if I just come in and I say, here's the future, right? And I don't empathize. And, and, and we like to say it's really aware of the customer's shoes, then I am not going to do my, my, my customer, my buyer, uh, uh, um, I'm going to do a disservice, right? Because I'm going to be thinking way, you know, way much more macro than the problem that they have at hand. So um, I think boil the, boil the ocean, you know, can really full, you know, uh, full, fall back on our faces. And as Mark said, you know, it's really about, you know, resetting expectations. And, you know, if you don't know what to do in a meeting or to pres what to prescribe or what, you know, what the agenda is, you know, then we need to do more proper discovery, right? And we need to, to build on that. Um, and I think, again, it's all about focusing on the customer there. Yeah, you know, and an another really common uh, opportunity tension is misalignment. And this one is, is extremely common where the AE believes that, we're at the point we're going to close the deal or they believe that we're at a point of, of giving a demo uh, and me, myself, or we as SEs don't believe the deal is that advanced. Um, and, and the way that I, I handle this is that I have a conversation with the AE and I ask them the standard qualifying questions, right? Like who's the buyer? Do they have budget? Who's the technical resources? What's their technical stack? What's the business problem that we're actually trying to solve? And what's the customer gonna get out of solving this problem? I had one example where uh, a sales rep wanted us to go and do um, a, a demo of, of our autopilot, of our AI bot technology. He was like, hey, Mark, can you build this demo? It's for this customer. And on the prep call, I just asked him those standard questions like, hey, what's the problem they're trying to solve? Why are they interested in this bot technology? What are they gonna get out of this? What is, the, what is their pain point that they think that this technology is the solution for? And by walking them through those questions, he didn't have the answers, he didn't know. And so by doing that, he realized like, yeah, we're not ready to do a demo because we're not even sure if this is the right technology to solve their problem. So the next call we went in, instead of doing a demo, we actually had a conversation with them about Hey, what is the problem you're trying to solve? And let us see if we can come up with a solution to, to solve for that. Yeah, no, so that, I can't tell you how many times that's happened. And, and it really is such simple questions uh, that you have to, to prepare just, you know, where's the budget coming from? What problem are they trying to solve? What's the, why are we having this conversation? Uh, and that's really gonna solve so many problems. And I love that as SEs, we can really be that uh, forcing function to, to, to have a better conversation. So this last one that I want to talk a bit more about, because this also happens to SEs notoriously, is commitments, getting signed up or, or pigeonholed into commitments without, you know, you get an email that says, hey, we're, we're going on site, you know, and you've never even done a demo or qualified things. I'm sure there are some really crazy stories that we all have. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, why don't you talk a bit about these, these other general tension or these other opportunity tensions with commitments? Yeah, that never happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it, it, there's kind of a, a, a thread that runs through all of these opportunity tensions and really it's a lack of communication. The whole commitment thing, it goes back to what Jay and I were talking about in the beginning of what makes a world-class uh, sales team is having that synergy, having that communication so that you're there to complement each other. When your partner makes a commitment that you're not aware of and you're not capable, capable of fulfilling, it's because they haven't communicated with you. You didn't know that they were gonna make that commitment. You didn't know that they were gonna to commit to you, that they were gonna commit you to building this POC for something that you don't even know how to do, right? And so again, I go back to the way that I deal with demo commitments, um, I'll set aside RFP commitments because those are a little bit different. And I've got a funny story for that one, but um, POC commitments, time commitments, all of those commitments, it's about having open communication with your AE um, and having the freedom to know what they're going to commit you to and be able to say, you're like, Oh, I'm not ready to do that. You know, we really need to get more information before I can build that POC or, Hey, you know, 
I can't travel on that day because I've got other meetings or I've got family commitments. I can't be there. Can we do it on Thursday instead? If you have that open communication with your AE, then you avoid a lot of those problems because before they make commitments, they're communicating with you. It's like, hey, I think this is the next thing that we should be doing. And then you can kind of talk to them about uh, whether or not that's the next thing. Um, RFPs are an interesting one because they come out and a lot of times they have an unreasonable time frame that you've got to turn them around. And uh, sometimes the best thing to do is just not respond. So um, I worked at one company and we got an RFP and we read through the RFP and it obviously was not written for something that we were going to excel at. RFPs are a lot of time. It's a lot of our times as SEs to answer all the questions, to gather all the technical information. It's a lot of time on the AE's part to, to build out all of the questions, all the information about the company. Um, and so when I get an RFP, I have to look at like, what, what is the realistic chance that we're gonna win this? What is the realistic chance that we're gonna be able to compete on this? And this one time we looked at it and we said, based upon what they were asking for, our product doesn't do this. So we, we could respond to this. We could spend the time and it was a big enough global, you know, fortune 500 company that we should have done it. But we wrote back to them and we said flat out, we're not responding to this RFP because we don't think you're looking for our product. Uh, and the funny thing is they wrote us back and saying, no, we really want you to respond to this RFP. We're really interested in your technology. Would you please respond? And we said, no, we're not responding to your RFP because this is what your RFP asked for, and this is what our product does. And they said, well, we really want what your product does, so don't respond to the RFP. How about we do a pilot project just for your technology? And we ended up doing a lot of business with them without ever responding to the RFP. So when you get those kind of RFP commitments, as a team, you should sit down and kind of evaluate, hey, is this something we really think we can win? Is this something that's you know, worth all the time that it's going to take us to put into it? A lot of times the answer is yes, but sometimes you might look at it and go, yeah, no, this is just blind out of the sky. There's no way we're going to win this. Let's not waste our time doing this. Yeah, I'll just add, I mean, it, you know, in my, in my experience, it's also amazing, like how many times I've seen RFIs or RFXs come across my desk and, you know, there wasn't a, an immediate reaction to jump on a call and go through it with, with, with the customer who wrote it. So you know, I think, you know, based on what they put on paper, right, could be very uh, sort of uh, canned. Um, but when you actually, you know, jump on a call, you have an opportunity to, to introduce yourself as an SC and to, you know, get to understand what the customer is really looking for. Um, and also share that, you know, the differentiation of your platform if it doesn't map to that canned response, as Mark mentioned. So I think always, Right, you know, if you have an RFI come across your desk and you have an AE that's like, it's due in a few days, can we just get this done? Always, you know, ask to jump on a call with a customer and do your own risk mitigation, do your own expansion and validation of the use cases, and then take that data back to your team. And as Mark alluded to, constantly, you know, go through, you know, the pros and cons of, uh, and go through, does it make sense for us to, to commit to this as, uh, you know, to this RFP? Yeah, that, that's really great information and, and uh, could save all of us a lot of time in the future. Um, and it's in kind of summary of talking through a lot of these general and opportunity specific tensions, there's a couple of themes that are definitely coming across here, right? I, I'm hearing a lot about communication. I'm hearing a lot about two, planning and preparation, as well as three, knowing your account executive. And so it seems like a combination of some of these, these points is a way that we can not only address and talk about some of these general and opportunity focused tension points, but also how we can better partner together with our account executives, being more aware of these tensions, as well as what we can do to build this world-class team. In kind of summary, is there anything else, Jay, Mark, from that communication, planning, preparation, and knowing your AE perspective you'd like to add? Yeah, one of the things we like to talk about a lot, and, and I don't think it's really being done well, you know, in the industry from a sales perspective, is just using data as your North Star. So a lot of these general tensions and opportunity tensions, it might be personality conflicts, and, you know, it might be, you know, just not understanding an SC or an SC not understanding an AE. 
But I think, you know, we need to use our CRM, our, 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 our Salesforce, our Dynamics, our HubSpot um, as a tool to guide us, right? So we talk a lot about just using the data, right? If you have eight stages in your sales opportunity in, in the life cycle of an opportunity, right? Each of those stages needs to have like activities. And, you know, if we are not unable to perform that activity, then we are not at that stage, right? And each of those stages need to have gates, right? From go to, from, to go from A to B or B to C, we need to have validation that the right criteria was met. And if our sales ops and our management isn't providing us that, then we're not gonna, you know, we will have these tensions, right? And yes, you know, as professional, highly paid professionals, as Mark said, we have these tools to work it out, like communicate better, get into better, better cadences, routines, you know, debriefs, sunset reviews, all that fun stuff. But I, I encourage all SEs and AEs to build a better partnership by building it into the way they operate and just automate that and get better and better and better. So, you know, personally for me, I, I love, you know, um, you know, just, you know, daily check-ins. Um, you know, a lot of people do weekly check-ins. They do, um, you know, I talk with my AEs over text, over Slack, uh, you know, not nonstop, right? Call them up, ask them, you know, how's, how's it going? Like those types of, you know, um, just sort of mu you know, muscle routines will just build a better relationship with your colleagues. Um, to the point where I've built really good friendships with a lot of the past AEs I've worked with uh, to this day. So I would just say, you know, you know make sure you, you know, you, your, your, your AEs know how you work, right? Know, know your personality. Make sure you're in constant contact with them, right? On a, on a daily basis, you know, share your, your calendar, share your sales, you know, your, your sales report. Because I work with um, up to six now, I think, right? And, you know, obviously as Mark mentioned, right, there's double bookings and, you know, I might have to say, can, can I, you know, miss that, you know, but if we make visible, uh, make our, our, our opportunity dashboards visible to our AEs, they know what stages my other ops are at, how much the budget, is, the, you know, the volume is, et cetera, the price. So all this awareness really helps, you know, driving a better relationship with your AEs. Uh, Mark, I'll let you uh, jump in there if you want to add on. Yeah, no, I mean, you brought up a, a really good point that I don't think in a lot of the organizations I've worked on is stressed enough. As, as SEs, it's important for us to understand the different st stages of sales opportunities in Salesforce or HubSpot or Dynamics. And I was in a training years ago where they walked us through all of those different stages and what they meant, but they didn't, they didn't position the training as this is a sales training, they position it as this is a, this is a language training. We're giving you the language so that you can have the same language as the AEs that you're supporting. So when you say a deal is qualified, they understand what you mean. So if you don't know what all the different stages are and whatever CRM your company is using, then you should learn it because that's the language that your partner is using. And if you don't speak that language, communication is, is gonna be an issue. Um, and, and that is what really makes a world-class sales team. And that's what create, creates a great partnership with AEs is that communication. Um, if you have a, a, a number of reps, set up weekly touch base meetings. That's where you can get in sync about what meetings are coming up this week. Who are we positioning? Where are we with these opportunities? What's the next step? What is the customer waiting on? What are the commitments that we're making to our customers? so that you're constantly in sync. And the nice thing is that, that when I have these meetings, maybe we don't have them, maybe we don't meet every Friday, but it's on our calendar. It's booked out as time. So if there is an issue, I already know I can speak to my rep at this time because that's the time that we meet at every week. And it's the same thing for them. If they have an issue and I'm really busy, they know, hey, Friday at two o'clock, that's when I'm meeting with Mark, that's when I can bring this up, that's when we can talk about it. Um, and it just makes the partnership a lot stronger. And again, that just gives our customers a better customer service because we come to the meetings prepared. We have prep meetings. I can't say this enough. Prep for every meeting that you're having with a customer. Talk about what are you going to talk about? What are you expecting the customer to talk about? Um, customers appreciate it. When you come prepared and you have an agenda and you have a format, they really appreciate like, wow, these, th these people are prepared. This team is prepared. They really understand me. They're really helping me. Um, I want to do business with them. Yeah, all, all of these things that you've shared are, are really great. 
And just a, one thing I want to point out about this is all of these challenges or tensions that we've talked about are, you know, very solvable, simple problems that can be solved with some communication, some planning and some preparation and, you know, understanding your AE and building trust with them. So the, the reality is a lot of, even in world-class organizations, these tensions will exist. And if there's an organization that says they don't, I think they're lying. But <laughs> as SEs, we're always striving to, to, to be a better partner. And a, a lot of the, the solutions to these tensions, uh, rather than focusing on what we can't control, uh, focus on how can we have better communication and create better communication? How can we uh, work with our AE partners to plan and prepare better? How can we build trust better? And focus on that because all of the, the solutions we've talked about to these tensions have been, you know, are solved by one of those three things. So I really, truly want to thank both of you for coming on today and chatting with us about this. Uh, this was an incredible conversation. So uh, is there anything else you want to add before we wrap the topic on, you know, partnering with your AE? Yeah, no, just to reemphasize, you know, what the key to having a strong partnership is communication, is knowing the, your partner, uh, knowing your AE, knowing the AEs that you work with, what are their strengths, what are their weaknesses, and then you can make a decision whether uh, you want to compliment them, whether you want to make them better, you, whether you want to make the sales team better, and what are the things that you have to do, and are you willing to do those things? Do you want to go above and beyond like Jay said, you know, do I want to be the best of the best SEs in this organization? Well, if you want to do those things, then you have to understand your AEs may have weaknesses and the best of the best are going to compensate and have open communication. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think, um, you know, I think we always have to remember that, you know, we are SEs, we have sales in our title, right? Um, whether it's solutions engineering or sales engineering, Right, we're respond if we're in pre-sales, we're responsible for bringing in revenue for the business, and the AE is even more responsible. So um, we have to empathize for the the, the risk they 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 uh, you know uh, take on by carrying a bag, and I think you know obviously the tensions are always going to be high because of that. But to Mark's point, as long as we understand understand each other and communicate. Right, and we understand our goals and our achievements and how we make each other successful, I think we'll always have a good relationship. Yeah, wow, those are some incredible tidbits that, to add on to that, yeah. Thank you. So yeah, this was a, a great conversation. Thanks again for, for coming on to talk about it. Now switching gears to some rapid fire questions. These are questions that we're gonna ask to every guest. Uh, so the first question, what book has greatly influenced your professional or personal life? Mark, do you want to kick us off? Sure. Uh, for me, it was uh, a book called Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. Um, I really liked his uh, idea that he talked about with 10,000 hours of, of deliberate practice. And it wasn't so much the number, it's this idea of deliberate practice. I, I played sports growing up and it's very much, um, if you want to get good at something, you have to practice it. The more you practice it, the better you get at it. And a lot of people say practice makes perfect. I had a coach that used to say to me, practice makes routine. If, if you haven't practiced a demo, the first time you give that demo to that customer, you're, you're practicing it and it's not going to be good. But if you've done it 1500 times before your first time you ever give it to a customer, it's going to be solid. Yeah, deliberate practice. I love that. I'm actually a believer in that too. Jay, what about you? Yeah. I I'd have to say The Phoenix Project uh, by uh, Gene Kim. So it's a novel about IT DevOps. And, and what I like about it is it's sort of this switch from the business, sort of controlling the roadmap and um, you know, pushing around the, you know, the IT side. And it's more about the IT, uh, an IT team switching to an agile uh, development um, practice and you know, creating you know, um, a, a faster way of beating the uh, of shipping software and staying ahead of their competition and showing the business and, and working with the business to, to, to deliver that. So I think you know, for any AESC that really wants to understand 
you know, who they're selling to and how your customers, IT and business work together and all the friction and clashes that happen, right? Um, and all the challenges that an IT side may go through from the business, you know, driving the roadmap. Phoenix Project is excellent, you know, look into that. Yeah, I haven't read the Phoenix, Phoenix Project, but some of the best SEs at my previous company, uh, they said that was the best book they've ever read that's helped them become yeah, an SE. I would, I would strongly recommend it. Yeah. Yeah, especially if you're selling into engineering teams or IT teams and, or more technical buyers. Great. Those were awesome books. Moving on to the next question. What's a profound experience that has shaped your professional life? Wow. Uh, yeah, that, that's, that's an interesting one. So I think a, a, a profound experience that kind of shaped my uh, professional life was when I got out of college, I lived in San Francisco and I had a roommate who actually got me into my first job, my first sales job doing inside sales for a small company in Santa Clara. So we would drive every day from uh, San Francisco to Santa Clara and uh, Danny, my, my roommate, he liked to talk and I liked to listen. So every day on that drive from San Francisco to Santa Clara, from Santa Clara to San Francisco, all we did was talk about deals. Uh, I learned more about sales and what it meant to be a salesperson uh, in, the, in those five years of, of working at that company and, and living with Danny. Uh, and that really now 20 years later completely shaped like who I am and, and how I work was just those car rides and having those conversations. What about you, Jay? Yeah, so I, I think, um, you know, a recent uh, event in my life was, um, you know, working at a startup pre-Twilio. So, you know, after after college, you know, when we're young and we're single or double income, income no children, it's okay to, you know, go to a company, you know, learn and, and perhaps move on, right? But I had a good run from 2010 to 2017 um, at, with two acquisitions um, over that, you know, two companies over seven years. And then, you know, riding that high, I went to a very risky small startup that just got a series A funding. And here I am with a baby, two kids, you know, one of my kids being a baby, um, you know, just bought a new house and I watched, you know, uh, this company implode in, in under nine months. Um, and, you know, I just think it was a humbling experience, something uh, you can't, you know, when, when you have those big wins and, and those success stories, right. Um, you know, you can't take for granted. And that, that type of stuff. So just, you know, you know, failing like that and seeing, you know, you know, the, the repercussions and implications of, 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 you know, um, you know, going out of business was, was tough. And I think something that made me much stronger, you know, in, in, in the future and something I'll, I'll, I'll probably be able to, you know, next time, you know, do a little bit more research, you know, don't be as arrogant and, and just make sure that, you know, what you're getting yourself into is, is, is right for my family and all that stuff. So I think just, you know, um, working at a company and, and, and lose, you know, and going out of business was definitely shaped me for the rest of my life, you know, to make me stronger, of course. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how that type of an experience couldn't impact yeah. you on, on some deep level like that, you know, um, the final two questions that we had were around first, what is the worst professional advice that you've been given? <laughs> oh, that's another tough one. So I think the worst professional advice that I ever uh, got was someone told me just just go along with it. Um, it. We were with a small company that as an SE, you were a part of the sales organization. Um, you had a variable comp. We got bought by a bigger company where in that organization, sales engineers um, didn't have variable comp. They were expected to just sit behind their desk, not talk to customers and just pump out solutions without ever talking to a customer. And that didn't work for me. And my boss at the time was like, you know, Mark, just go along with it. And, you know, don't make, don't make ripples, just find something else outside of work that you love and focus on that and just get through this. And that was just horrible, horrible advice. Um, and, and I've heard that a couple times in my career where people are like, well, just, just go along with it. And, and I think that's, a, that's just terrible advice. Don't ever just go along with it. <laughs> yeah, I guess mine is kind of in line with Mark's maybe. I, 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 um, you know, I've met some people over the years where, you know, if we don't support a feature, if we can't do something, 
you know, don't admit it, just say we can, right? And I think, you know, if, you know, in, in the concept of people buy from people and at Twilio, we, we like to say, you know, earn our customers trust, right? And also the long-term implications of that, right? If we're lying to a customer, right, um, it's gonna call, fall back on us. It's gonna ruin our reputation, whether it's company or personally. So I just think that, you know, anytime you're advised, you know, to, to hide something or make a customer believe, right, we can do something that we cannot, I think is just horrible advice and something I'd strongly recommend. And on the positive side, right, I think when we're genuine and we admit that we cannot do something, right, but we know that, you know, the other nine things that we can do, right, will still give us the chance to win, right, is, 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 not a bad thing, right? Because software is soft. Um, and, you know, it's never going to do exactly what we want it to do. So I would always, you know, advise people, right, to just be upfront. And I would never, never lie to a customer. Yeah, yeah. Don't just go along with things. Never lie to a customer. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I love that. And so on the, on the flip side, to round out the rapid fire questions, what's the best professional advice that you've been given? You know, uh, I think the best advice I got was from, uh, it was actually a VP I, I interviewed with at Akamai. Um, he told me to, to be an asset. And, and that's, a, that's a strange phrase, but what it meant to me was drive value, not just for the company, but for your customers. Be an asset, be something that is valued. And, and the way that I do that is through helping people, uh, helping my customers, helping my peers, helping people throughout the organization, no matter whether I interact with them at all. If you have a question, if you need help, I'm here to help. And that's how you build value. And all of the people that I've helped, customers, past, past companies, um, that's where they think like, oh, he's an asset, he's valuable. I, I absolutely would recommend that you hire him because he was so, helpful for, to me. And it was because of that bit of advice I got years and years ago, where he just said, you know, Mark, go be an asset. That's great advice. Yeah, I really agree with that. What about you, Jay? Yeah, I, one of my old mentors um, used to say, you know, strive for excellence. And I remember when I met him, this is probably 2011, um, you know, we were working at a startup and we were sort of creating a space uh, in, in the technology market. And he was always, I wouldn't say contentious with, well, I, on the surface, I think he was being contentious with, with the engineering and product teams. So what would happen was we would have, you know, like pre-release announcements and we'd go through what some, some of the releases that we'd be shipping and he would constantly poke holes, right? And, and, and push back, why didn't we do this? Why isn't it better, right? In, in, in a much more elegant you know, way, but you know, the underlying you know, message was this isn't good enough. Right. And off offline, I'd say, you know, why? Right. Like, you know, it, you know, and his, his response was always strive for excellence. Right. If we're not striving to be the best SE or if we're not striving to build the best product or be the, you know, to be the best engineering team and so on and so forth. Right. Then, you know, we're just going to deliver mediocrity. We're just going to deliver an okay software product. Right. So I think, you know, my, the message I always have, and even in sales, like I always strive for sales excellence. Right. And that's that world-class service. So it's something I've taken with me since 2011. Wow. That's also really, both of those are really great advice. Um, and I do agree that to be just not to be an average vendor, I'm sure when you talk to your customers, they love working with you. Uh, and that comes from striving for excellence and putting them, putting them first. Well, Jade, Mark, I can't thank you enough for, for coming on today's call, for joining and sharing your knowledge and your perspective. Uh, both of you have such a, a wealth of, of knowledge and experience being sales engineers and just being in technology. Thank, thank you so much. Do either of you have any closing remarks that you you want to talk about that we haven't had a chance to talk about or or anything else you want to add are you hiring anything along those lines yeah i'll just say if if you ever have a podcast about se comp please call me <laughs> <laughs> um and um and yes we we are hiring um all over the globe and if you have any east coast uh, uh talent in mind feel free to have them reach out to me and I will debrief them and help them out 
as much as they want if they want to come over to Twilio. Or West Coast. <laughs> if, they, if you have West Coast talent and, and uh, Twilio is hunting on the West Coast as well. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks again, both of you. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having yeah, us. Thanks. thanks, you guys. Wow. What an incredible episode that was with Jay and Mark. We really dove into the tensions that exist between AEs and SEs, as well as how to be the best partner that we can. This conversation is a window into how a world-class organization looks at common challenges within a sales team and how to resolve them. Again, Twilio's hiring on the East Coast and the West Coast, as well as globally. If you're curious, make sure to reach out to Jay or Mark directly. Thanks again for listening. We appreciate you and hope that this helps you learn and grow in your career as an SE and in your professional life. If you found this conversation as insightful as we did, please share this podcast with a teammate or your team and let us know what you think by subscribing and rating wherever you listen. Finally, if there are any topics that you'd like to hear or speakers that you think would be great for the podcast, please use the email alias in the show notes to reach us. See you next time on the edge of sales engineering.